uh, welcome to the podcast. I'm here with Ben Monder. Ben Monder is a guitarist who's based in New York, and he has literally hundreds of albums as a, a sideman, but also some really special solo records that he did as a leader. Uh, otherwise, you might know him uh, from the music of Maria Schneider's orchestra, uh, his duet with Theo Blackman, uh, Guillermo Klein's Los Gauchos, Paul Motion's band, or uh, the last album from David Bowie. So uh, welcome, Ben. It's good to have you. Thanks. Thanks for uh, inviting so, me for your interest. Um, my pleasure. Uh, so we've already talked a little bit about this, but uh, it's tradition on this show to basically ask the guests about their coffee habits a little bit. So could you tell our listeners about... Uh, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. We did have an email exchange about coffee, right? Mm -hmm. I don't remember what the contents of that exchange were, but but that's pretty easy because my habits are very consistent, uh, and I, I'm not a coffee snob at all. Nothing against coffee snobs. I, I respect you know mm -hmm. good taste and all things, but I just pretty much drink 95% uh, of the time just Bustillo. Mm -hmm. Tastes fine, does the job, wakes me up. Um, provides the inspiration when it's needed. So, uh, <laughs> so I'll make a, I have like a four cup Mr. Coffee machine. Mm -hmm. Make a pot of that, drink that in the morning. I mean, it's not actually four cups. It's like one cup, one large cup and a little bit. But, uh, so that'll happen. And then almost always I'll have another, uh, Maybe around from, of course, from home, from out, I'll go someplace out. But I'll have another one at some point. They're early, generally early afternoon. And as much coffee as I drink, and as long as I've been doing it, if I have anything, like after like 4 or 5 p.m., I'll be up all night, which is weird. But um, so I got to get that second one in before that. So there you have it. Uh, is there ever a point where it negatively impacts your uh, your left hand? <laughs> Maybe that's what's doing it. <laughs> I know, definitely not. It's only ever had positive impacts on anything I can discern. Well, that's that's awesome. I I find that I mean, you know I get the jitters sometimes, but I'll get those anyway. So gotcha. I get very jittery from it. So. Uh... I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I wish that I didn't get jittery and I could play better on coffee. But anyway, I just wanted to start with that to get a feel for uh, your coffee habits. Um, so uh, I was thinking about your sort of brand of guitar playing and the way that I've described it is like you're in a lineage of exhaustive guitar players. And uh, what I mean by this uh, to go on a quick- Exhausted or exhaustive? Exhaust, exhaustive. Uh, yeah. Just in that you you sort of have a systematic method of uh, growing your vocabulary, and uh, mm -hmm. I think this is exemplified in basically like when I was a freshman at USC studying guitar, uh, I was totally unhappy. There was like, you know, one of the first classes was sitting around playing fucking Cantaloupe Island in this like guitar circle jerk. And I was like, what am I getting myself into? And so I sent you an email and I was like, please let me study with you. And the email that I got back was literally more useful than the entire time that I spent at USC. And uh, I wanted to get into that, what I'm calling the sheet. And uh, basically you get into sort of like these permutation things and it seems like uh, you sort of have like a generator function that provided you with a lifetime of stuff to work on. Uh, so how long have you been working on the same set of uh, techniques? Well, it's, you know, it, it's cumulative, uh, but I've had the more or less same approach, which is, you know, sort of methodical and systematic from the very beginning. Well, maybe not the very beginning, but um, basically the inspiration came from Chuck Wayne, who um, you may or may not know, but he's a, a legendary uh, guitarist in bebop lineage. Um, and I took lessons with him when I was maybe 16, 17. Um, 
and he was all about having a very thorough systematic approach to jazz harmony. Um, and I think that's what inspired me to go that route of just being exhaustive, as he put it, um, and, and organized. And so at least, you know, half of that sheet comes directly from the lessons that I learned from Chuck. Um, and then I added a little bit more, but in a similar vein. Like for example, for some reason, he provided me with like four voicing types for seventh chords instead of six, which, you know, would include all of them. Neglected a couple, um, which ones I, I can't. I don't have the terminology because I never remember the Berkeley yeah. terminology. I, I would hope that you wouldn't. <laughs> no, I wish I could because it's, I don't know how else to describe those voicings other than drop two and three, drop you know, et cetera. But I, I always, I just can't learn the rules. I never remember that. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, anyway, so he, he gave me like four out of the six types and then I just added the second to um, okay. but anyway it sort of provided a template for systematic learning in you know whatever topic I was um, delving into um, and the, the you know I got a lot out of the McGoodrick books from the advancing guitarist all the way through you know his later later tomes, mm -hmm. the for voice leading, and, and those are extremely methodical as well, and exhaustive. There's nothing more exhaustive than that almanac. I feel um, like in this, uh, in this lineage of guitarists, there's, you know, maybe Mick Goodrick, Mick Goodrick, sorry, uh, and uh, Ted Green, mm -hmm. and uh, who else was I thinking? Like, uh, I mean, John Stoll, to some extent, Alan Holdsworth, and then there's kind of this post Maunder school of like, uh, you know, Miles Okazaki and Ryan Ferreira. Um, is there anybody in this sort of uh, lineage that I'm forgetting about uh, from the earlier years, I guess, besides Chuck Wayne, I guess? Um, sorry, you, you were sort of freezing in the, in the first part of that question, so. Oh, um, so basically I'm thinking like, you know, Ted, Mick, uh, John Stoll, mm -hmm. uh, Alan, Alan Holdsworth. Are there people in this exhaustiveness lineage that I'm forgetting about? Oh, um, <clears throat> probably. I, so you mentioned Ted Green, I think, um, whose uh, chord chemistry was kind of a Bible of mine uh, a long time ago. Um, Maybe Joe DiOrio could mm -hmm. have him in there. Uh, I'm sure if I thought about it harder without a camera on, <laughs> I'd be able to think more people, but I'm sort of drawing a few blanks. Yeah, no worries. Um, well, uh, boy, I mean, I guess I, I'm curious about uh, some phases of practice in your career. Um, First of all, uh, recently with all this coronavirus stuff, uh, have you found that you've sort of been in the corona woodshed? Oh yeah, that? very much. Very so much. more practice? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually not even practicing as much as I'm writing mostly solo guitar pieces and, and then practicing them because they're like to get them in some kind of shape, but you know, if they were let us into the recording studio again. I'd like to be able to, um, you know, document them sooner rather than later. So, you know, I've had some things lying around and, and sort of have finished and I've taken this opportunity since I have literally all day um, to finish them and to get them into shape. And, you know, it's, it's sort of speeded up the process, I guess, mm -hmm. of, of getting this next recording project out there. But um, I haven't, but I haven't practiced like in my, I guess, previous <laughs> pre-COVID life. Uh, my practice was more, practice was more 
geared towards you know learning improvisation techniques and I've been doing almost none of that. So I haven't been practicing my chords or I haven't even picked up. I think I practiced with a pick maybe twice in the last six weeks. And it felt so bad I just put it away again. So yeah, so I have some other shedding to do when the time comes, but I'm just really motivated to get these pieces finished and, and playing shape. Nice. And uh, I heard in a different podcast, you were talking about uh, one of these being sort of derived from the good Rick stuff with the three voices. Uh, is that uh, one of the things that you're working yes. on? Yes. Yeah. A couple of them are actually. Awesome. I'm glad that somebody's still focused on Mick Goodrick. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll be focused. I mean, so far I've, I've only been dealing with the three note, the three note voicings, which is a minuscule, relatively minuscule mm -hmm. fraction of this entire thing. So, yeah, that'll, that'll be a constant with me through the, probably the rest of my life. Cool. Um, so compared to something like, uh, leading up to 2005 when you put out Ocean Eye, uh, what did that sort of era of practice look for you like? Leading up, I mean, it's been the same more or less for forever. Um, there's the ideal practice routine, which almost never actually happens in real life and that's what I do, but it's some, some sort of, you know, approximation or compromise. Mm -hmm between my aspirations and, and reality. Um, and I, you know, I actually put practice schedules on my wall, which are generally impossible to complete, but it just makes me feel better having them there. And that means it goes along with the whole like, systematic thing, like one through whatever, a 10 thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that said, I do advise people to focus on fewer subjects per day and be more thorough and more exhaustive with them. So if I, if I say like I list one through 10 things, that's maybe not the wisest thing on it. Uh, can you give an example of what uh, like a, a few days of practicing would look like? Like what you have scheduled for yourself and what you actually end up uh, trying um, to tackle? Yeah, I'll generally start with chord work. So, um, I used to practice, it used to be that the first thing I would go to when I picked up the guitar were, were the, um, reading through Bach Corrales, or not reading, not like sight reading through them, but, but figuring out how to actually play the four chord Corrales on guitar, which is usually like 90% doable you know, the way that they're actually written, but it's just sort of finding some sort of non-guitaristic ways to solve those problems. Um, and those are, you know, first of all, it's a great thing to hear first thing in the day. Um, and lessons in just counterpoint and voice leading harmony kind of this. So, so I'll do that and then, uh, and then I'll, you know, do two or three hours of chord work for starting with triads I mean I don't know what detail do you want me to get but there's lots, I mean, of, you do, lots of you can do with triads uh, I have no interest in appeasing the lay person uh, like, I want <laughs> to get clearly as not. deep into the weeds as I can with you <laughs> okay um well you know voice leading triads through cycles like, like uh, books and practical ways to actually improvise with them over changing harmony and over static harmony. Um, finding inner voice movement with you know, through triad cycles. Uh, there's a lot of the um, George Van Epps harmonic mechanisms book that, that goes into like like inner inner voice um, neighbor tones and passing tones in, in, in just in triads. And so some exploring those, just pretty much every possible thing you could do. With, and also, of course, there's the, all the inversions and the 
playing with open closed positions and different voices and different spacings. Mm -hmm. um, so how many so hours? I have, I have yeah, how many a, hours? <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah, <laughs> this is a little bit off topic, but I have attempted, you know, since since I read um, the first person that in, that introduced this idea to me was um, was the, the great bass player Ratso Harris. Said that at least once in your life you need to practice for twenty four hours, uh, <laughs> and it'll change your it'll change your life. So I'm like, all right, I'll take that challenge. So three separate times in my life I've attempted to do this, and I've failed every time. I just fell asleep. Like I haven't done it, and also. Reading, um, I think Ravi Shankar has a couple of autobiographies, but I read one, like the, I think the first shorter one, where he talks about a sort of a rite of passage, like every Hindustani musician goes through a three-day practice binge, or, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it. Like you, and if I'm not. If I'm remembering correctly, I think he had to play the same, he was just playing the tabla, the same tala for three days. And his teacher and other people would sit outside of his hut to make sure that he didn't stop and they would spell each other. So anyway, uh, I guess my point for saying that, like I, I think the closest I got was like 22 hours and I'm just like asleep. I just remember that at the end of that, I'm on my floor the guitar like on my stomach. <laughs> the only thing I could do was like practice like slow quarter notes to a metronome. So I had the metronome on like three beats per minute. And I'm trying to <laughs> accurately play three beats per minute with the click and like I'm sort of like falling asleep between beats. Anyway, it didn't end well and I just like conked out. Um, but my point in bringing this up is when I feel like when I have like an ocean of time in front of me, um, it's it's really liberating because I know that I can practice every subject. I don't I don't have to impose a time limit on it really. Mm -hmm. So I could do you know I could do triads for three to four hours, and there's three or four hours a day in that if you you know if you practice everything in every key and then, I mean just think about it. You could probably practice triads for eight hours. Um, not that that's advisable, but. Um. <laughs> well, 24 hour practice uh, marathon, uh, that's something I should aspire to. Um, it, I mean, I don't know how fun. healthy it is, but you know what? Let me start to interrupt with the first time <laughs> I did it. Um, even though I didn't make it, I think I made it like maybe like 20. I felt like my playing grew like exponentially just from having done that and i felt like for for like months i felt the after effects of it didn't happen so much in the other the other times and i just i don't know maybe i'm just getting too old to for this nonsense mm -hmm. but i felt like maybe it was i don't know if it was detrimental but i felt like my fingers were like stiff and like swollen and whatever i don't know if i'm going to try it again but if I did, this would be the perfect opportunity. <laughs> mm -hmm. I um, agree. Um, anyway, so getting back to the like the ideal practice schedule would be like four hours of chords, one top, you know, I mean I talked about triads, but there's lots of other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, then maybe you know, the Plectrum is it's, you know, trying some stuff with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm always trying to write. Uh, I feel like I, it's kind of something I need to keep up or, or, or just kind of lose my motivation for it. So there's always some of that. And then there's, of course, just like practicing pieces that I'm actually trying to ever perform. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 
that's a day. Um, a friend of mine suggested a few years ago something really helpful for me, which was just, um, you know, because I was saying there are all these things I want to get to, and I never seem to have enough time. Um, and other life things get in the way. Mm -hmm. Food, or changing cat litter. Um, so he said, just set an egg timer. This is probably before the iPhone, where you have a timer on your phone, but just to, like set a timer, like, I want to do this subject. I want to make sure that I do it. So I'm just going to like set an hour, I'm not going to be distracted. I mean, one thing, one thing that helps is just like put your devices away when you're practicing. So you know that the quality of your practice will be the highest level. Um, and just, yes, yeah, I guess you can't really set your iPhone timer and have your device be put away, but so maybe get the egg timer after all. Although the ticking might be distracting. Anyway, get my point. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, shit, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah, so you mentioned uh, food in there briefly, I think. Uh, and that makes me think back to like probably when I was in my heyday of practicing. And mm -hmm. I <clears throat> realized that like the number one thing that was stopping me from getting better at guitar was just like getting my food and like eating together and like just not being hungry and um there's sort of like this ascetic thing of being a jazz musician who's trying to practice all the time and like you know forgetting to eat and stuff and so i'm curious uh how you feel your uh practice sessions like in terms of food it was a, a kind of ridiculous so question but i'm curious some kind of romantic idea of like you need to feel hungry all the time <laughs> and like like forget about anything <laughs> I just get lost in it and realize, you know, I need to like, you know, take care of my body and stuff. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've never forgotten to eat. I mean, if I haven't eaten, it's not for lack of being aware that I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, a little, that question, I mean, the kind of food I eat can kind of directly impact how I feel about playing. And when I've gone, you know, I've like experimented with a non-gluten diet before my doctor told me that, that was a bunch of bullshit. If you don't have like Crohn's disease or something. But when I actually did that, my hands felt way better. So, so. Um, yeah, if I, I mean, the time that my hands felt the best, because I do have like, I, I struggle with some like hand issues, just like feeling stiff or like, like I mentioned before, they get swollen sometimes, they don't move very well, mm -hmm. especially in you know, maybe like the last 10 years. Um, the times that they felt the best were when I've fasted. So, you know, a couple of times I've done this sort of cleansing fast where I would just eat I mean, I would, I would drink, I guess it was like six glasses of organic apple juice a day mixed with like powder. Mm. It's supposed to like clean your colon out or something. I'm not saying like to do that or that it's valid or I don't know, but, uh. but that week that I did that, my hands never felt better. I was just, you know, just felt as un unencumbered as possible. So. So, you know, your diet could have a really direct impact on mm -hmm. I guess for me, it was like a, a matter of just like sort of blood sugar spikes and like learning how to control that because mm -hmm. it was just too much of a distraction. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I was just curious, uh, you know, what your take on that was. But uh, so this sort of uh, is a good segue into my next question. and. You know, when I was in college, there was a, a decent amount of Ben Monder lore, and somebody once told Seriously? me that, 
Yeah, no, I mean, like, I, I was a deep monitor head, uh, and there were a few of us, but uh, somebody mentioned something about you going to, like, a 10-day silent retreat, which now I don't think of as anything crazy, um, but have you ever done, like, a meditation retreat, and do you have a meditation practice at all? Um, well, I, yeah, I did do the, you know, Vipassana course back in, like, 2002. I only did one. Um, I mean, it, it was it was great. I should do another one. I don't know. I, I feel like it was in 2002 was a little bit easier to clear my calendar for mm -hmm. that amount of time. Um, do I have a meditation practice? I mean, yes and no. I'm not. I'm not as consistent about it as I used to be. Um, but you know, it's the cushions right there, right to my left, waiting for me to sit on it <laughs> um do you feel like practicing is sort of your meditation in some respects yeah at, it, at its best sure um, but it, it but it's not meditation so mm -hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it's a replacement it's kind of uh funny to me that you know like a detail like that about your life can make its way to some dweeb in California studying guitar. <laughs> that being me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's interesting. Well, uh, so I wanted to ask some questions about your compositional approach. Uh, I think I, I read once that you had this epiphany about it being uh, all about sound. Uh, can you elaborate on that, or do you recall saying that? Um, I don't know if, what, what's all about sound. It with a capital I, or <laughs> it, like like I, composition. I think I uh, you had like an epiphany about uh, the, the importance of sound. Maybe I'm misremembering. Oh, but. well, yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, Actually, I remember this. I, I probably talked about this in an interview many years ago, but I do remember spe specifically listening to like a cassette. I'm in, you know, Jack McDuff's truck tooling across the country and listening to, um, you know, probably pretty high at that point and listening to Egberto Gismonte on the, on the headphones and just thinking like that's that's it like it's all there's there's nothing it doesn't nothing exists outside of sound if you think about it um and the relationship you have with that sound kind of determines how well you can convey your ideas um i wouldn't say that ties it necessarily to composition like the technique of composition but but certainly the performance and mm -hmm. purveying of compositions. Uh, do you remember what Egberto you were listening to? Um, I think it was the solo, the solo, you know, his record Sanfona, which is like a double record and, and one, one LP is solo guitar. It will solo various instruments, mostly guitar. And the other is quartet, so I think I was listening to the solo half of that. Gotcha. Um, and it's, you know, it's just a sound world. Um, sorry, but you, you wanted to follow up with the composition. Uh, sure. Uh, so, uh... Uh, that quote about sound makes me think of like a, a tune like window pane and um, I'm sort of curious like that's one of those tunes that you didn't really write out right I didn't I mean I have subsequently written it out so that it could be published in this book which is extremely tedious process but I did it <laughs> um, so how does a, a tune like that sort of come into being uh, since the compositional process doesn't seem to be on paper, uh, like it sort of seems to self-organize out of something. Uh, can you elaborate on what that's like? 
Um, as most of my tunes originate, it just comes from some random idea. In this case, what do I, what do, I do with this specific picking pattern? Which it turns mm -hmm. out it's like the Lobo say to number one, but I didn't know it at that time. Um, <clears throat> and that's the first tool I had, I guess. After that, I don't really remember what I was thinking, but <clears throat> you know, I guess there were some like, you know, just playing around with the guitar things. You just accidentally hit upon things like this hammer-on thing. So, okay, that sounds cool. What, what can I do with that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, I guess at some point you have to make a decision on, okay, I have this, um, I have this picking pattern or finger picking pattern. Um, it kind of results in sort of a wash of sound. What character do I want to give this piece? Is it going to be bright or dark or, or both? Or, so, you know, in that case, I settled on, on something relatively bright. Um, kind of, kind of folky. It's probably something that I. It's it's not an emotional place I would probably go these days because I'm just not feeling like that. But mm -hmm. I still try to play it once in a while with varying degrees of success, or I should say, varying degrees of failure. To be accurate. Um, a question about window pane that um, uh, I can definitely edit this out and I'll ask it sort of cryptically, but uh, does the title window pane imply what I think it means? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, Ben, <laughs> I'm so happy that I've uh, resolved this uh, question in the back of my mind. <laughs> I hope you, yeah, well, I hope you want some money on that or something. <laughs> some money, what? No, never mind. Uh, uh, yeah. As if I was betting, no. Uh, um, yes, exactly. Interesting. Cool. Um, well, that all makes sense. I'll probably refrain from going into any more detail. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, cool. Well, uh, so with something that's a little bit more like three okay, composed. You're kind of young to know about that. I mean, do they still have that? Is that, uh, still, is that still a way that such a thing is, is <laughs> transmitted? Um, I, I mean, I consider myself uh, sort of like, I mean, like I research this type of stuff. Um, uh, I mean, like as a little side hustle, I, I make weird little supplements and like, you know, uh, cognitive enhancement pills and stuff. So uh, I, wow. I'm very deep in this shit. So um, wow. yeah, and I, I'm not sure if you're history. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Are you familiar with the band Coil? Coiled? Coil? Uh, no. like, uh, they, uh, I think they're sort of associated with like Throb and Gristle and like these very esoteric sort of occult oriented, uh, you know, practices. And they have a song called Window Pane and it's all about like, put a window pane in your eye. Uh, and I mean, the implication is LSD, but. <laughs> yeah. But you can't really do that because then it would be drop, droplets. Yeah. I knew people that put that like put droppers in their eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's effective. <laughs> <laughs> they're all they're all in institutions now. Mm -hmm. I'm just kidding. Uh, well, well, that's I'm I'm so tickled by this whole conversation. Uh, uh, well, I won't make you say any more. But uh, that's okay. I could tell you about the whole. Sure, but you really want. I, I mean, anything you're willing to tell me. No, that's 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 okay. All right. Well, um, leave it at that. Sure. Uh, so with something like uh, like Hydra or Oceana, which are these very complex through composed tunes, uh, what is generating that look like compared to uh, like a solo piece that doesn't require bringing in anybody else? Well, man. Um... They're not super different because I'm pretty much writing on the guitar. 
in both cases. Um, but the you know the, the band piece is just a, like I'm conceiving of more going on, and so I'm sort of like as I'm writing the guitar part, I'm envisioning a melody line, which is usually a song idea. Um, And, I, and I'm, you know, I'm hearing, I'm hearing some rhythmic propulsion and et cetera, but um, it's not, you know, not a substantially different process for me. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, really, I kind of suck at talking about the way I compose. It's all good. Uh, it, I mean, when you bring in uh, like a bass player, uh, I assume that you have to write out their part. Like they aren't just. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. There's no like learning quite stuff by ear. Uh... So with like Oshina, would you essentially have written your part on guitar and then you write out a bass line or like is everything written out at some point at the same time? I mean, it sounds yeah, like you put less, together. More or less at the same time. Uh... Gotcha. Or, or sometimes I'll write at the guitar part first, and then I'll. Um, I mean, it's it's never a great idea to have a fully formed guitar piece and then like try to find a space for the bass. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's you know maybe it's complete like you've envisioned it as complete. So, um, but sometimes the bass will just provide a supporting supporting role to what's already there. Or sometimes there's actually room for, for an independent voice. Mm -hmm. um, probably more. That's more in the case of Hydra. That's the that's the case. If I remember right. Oceana's. Um, it, it's more of a supportive role. Of, with the guitar as part of song what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, well, uh, so in uh, one of these podcasts, uh, I think it was the Everybody Loves Guitar uh, interview that you did. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was asking about like, you know, sort of like peak musical moments. And one of them, uh, you said like, basically just like those moments that everything's flowing perfectly and you're reaching like 80, 90% of your potential. Um, so uh, when I was in college, I, I came across this bootleg of you and George Garzon playing at Cornelia Street Cafe. And um, you played alone together. And I remember being in a practice room, listening to this a little bit high and just being like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is absurd. You're playing with like literally liquid. It was just everywhere. And so did you consider this a sort of peak era for your playing or do you go beyond this? Um, I, I wouldn't say there were any peak eras. Mm -hmm. I mean, looking back, I feel like I was playing a lot better back then, like just as far as like playing the guitar. Um, let's say my, I felt best like around the age like 39, 40, 42, and sort of like <laughs> steadily downhill from there. But, um, but I, I actually remember that gig not, I remember not feeling like fantastic on that one. Um, there was there was another there was another gig I did with them that I remember feeling like there was a lot more flowing with you know among everyone which was I sat in with the fringe which was like a you know like a fantasy come true because I loved that band since I was a kid and uh, I was able to play one night with them maybe around 2003 or so what was the Zeitgeist Gallery. Yeah, that's what it was called back then. Um, but, you know, who knows? I mean, it's like what things feel like subjectively doesn't mm -hmm. really count for all the lot. Um, but those, yeah, those peak moments are pretty few and far between, but they do happen. I mean, if they never happened, I would really question why am I even to do this but since I know it's possible um, you know I just keep throwing throwing myself out there and just trying 
Mm -hmm. We're not trying, we're trying not to not try or whatever. Frame it. Going, going through that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so, uh, what have you been listening to lately? Um, well, since since I've been I've been writing like, and practicing these pieces, like I said before, for like many hours per day. I'm not listening. I'm not like in intensive listening mode. Mm -hmm. right? I was, um, I was listening to, um, I was spending a lot of time listening to uh, the Elliot Carter string quartets, um, mainly number three, like one and two, I knew, got to know pretty well. Number three, I, I just found this really amazing recording um, out of like maybe the four recordings of this quartet I'm familiar with, this is my favorite. The Pacific Ocean Quartet. So I was really getting into number three, which is just kind of I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> I completely love it. Um, so I was, I was listening to that. Um, also came upon a really great recording of the Schoenberg String Quartet um, by the, the Fred Sherry Quartet. And uh, I started Really getting into number three and four of, of his. Uh, and I bought the, the complete Brian Fernie quartet. Um, I mean, that new complexity. So, so I was just kind of like in quartet world for a while. Um, but after I really got and I, I kind of had the, had the mental space to listen to some, to, to give it its due, you know, music mm -hmm. complex. So I've been main, mainly listening to metal. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, one of the people that I mentioned I was interviewing you to, uh, it was like, yeah, ask about Morbid Angel. I hear that he likes Morbid Angel. Oh, that was an early one for me. I haven't, I feel like it's a little bit simple for you. <laughs> well, simple is fine, but um, the, the last devourment record, which was, I think, from 2019, is ridiculous. So I just love that. I'm enjoying that greatly. I haven't um, uh, listened to devourment since, I guess, I think it's Butcher of the Week. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's. I mean, yeah, they're all, I don't know, they're, they're all good, but, but this last one I think is their best, their best record. Um, to check it out. Yeah. Um, the last two Portal records I just got. Um, do you know, if you're familiar with Portal, they're from Australia. I am, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, they're related to like Cynic uh, or Cleric or one of those bands. Related in what way? I mean, they're sort of, you know, like members from. I feel like the members no, from Cynic, right? Oh, I, I highly doubt that since they're Australian. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know exactly, but I don't think so. Um, anyway, super dark. <laughs> uh, what else? I mean, obviously, gore guts. Oh yeah, I'm just talking about things that I like just bought, you know. But oh, gotcha. Like, okay. I mean, obscura, you know, it doesn't really get better than mm -hmm. that. Totally. Um, uh, when you're in like a, a deep listening mode, uh, what does that look like? Like, are you listening on big speakers? Are you listening in headphones? Uh, are you like? Running errands? Or are you? Uh, oh, no, not running errands. You're you're like deep in it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the only way to listen. I think. Gotcha. You're, yeah, I don't want to be distracted or doing other things. Or mm -hmm. like, I still try to recapture that complete immersive experience that you know made me love music to begin with. Um, 
I don't want to ever lose that as distracted as everything kind of is now. I think like making it part of the space for concentrated listening. Mm -hmm. um, so either you know either on speakers or or probably more more frequently these days on, on headphones, but like headphones coming directly from my like a tube power band. Um, and uh, you know, because I, I also I live in an apartment building, and I'd like to listen to something loud enough, but I don't want to disturb the neighbors. Even though mm -hmm. They don't seem to really mind disturbing me as much as possible. <laughs> but that's it's for another podcast, the tenants podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah. Headphones is good. Remember when I when I was a kid, I used to put I used to like lie on the floor and put one speaker on one side of my head and the other speaker on the other side of my head. Music sort of a headphone. <laughs> so I, have you ever done the uh, Have you ever done the sort of Ives thing of like trying to listen to two things at the same time? No. I mean, Charles, Charles Ives' dad made him listen to two songs at the same yes. time. No, I'm aware of the, the folklore about that, but I haven't done that. Although, you know what, I've heard a couple of things. I would like put, a, put two, I can't remember which pieces they were, but they went together really great. It was like there was a, a, um, it doesn't even matter who they are, but this, I, I was listening to George Friedrich Haas, you know, he's like a microtonal composer, really mm -hmm. great stuff. Um, he has like a bunch of string quartets, as well as a lot of other stuff, but, but there was, I was remember, so I just put this on like YouTube, I put one of his quartets, which is, you know, relatively sparse, and then something else same time and they worked so well together it was like you know just like form this piece i don't want to say like improved <laughs> hope he doesn't ever watch this but <laughs> i don't think anybody will so uh, uh <laughs> yeah, hopefully <laughs> uh speaking of micro tonality uh the last person i interviewed uh is a guy who's kind of like a he's a theorboist and a guitarist but he's oh, wait, uh, a whatist a theorbist like the giant, that uh, it's like a giant lute, like a theorbo. Oh, I've never heard of that. Uh, I think you go along with this dude, but he uh, he's coming out with a line of these microtonal guitars where the neck mm. is uh, interchangeable, or the fretboard rather, and it's just attached by magnets, so you can do historical tunings and uh, various temperaments. And uh, mm. he's just doing classical guitars right now, but he's eventually going to get to steel string electrics and. Uh, I've always had a qualm with the guitar's intonation problems. And so like, mm. I'm just excited to hear this. And uh, I'm wondering what you would come up with if you had like a, a very nice uh, microtonal option on the guitar. You know, I feel like I have enough to worry about with mm -hmm. the regular guitar. I don't want to like, add a bunch of new parameters to, mm -hmm. to my brain like, anytime soon. Um, once I get bored with with this guy, I'll maybe try to expand. Sorry. Uh, so uh, I'm curious. Uh, beyond oh, listening, what's up? It says my internet connection is on. Oh no, it's it's fine. Sorry. Go ahead. No worries. Um, so I'm wondering about. Uh, in terms of like listening beyond music, uh, like I, I saw a quote from you about influences and you're like, well, whatever influence there is, it intuitively man or it manifests intuitively and instinctively. And uh, I'm curious about uh, like, well, it's a nice you look back at, I'm not sure if it's true, but I assume it is. It's, it's something that I've hung on to. So, I mean, it, it's <laughs> at least, uh, you know, useful for me, but, uh, so like, you know, you look back at Flux and Flux has all these uh, song titles that sort of refer to like outer space. And I'm curious about what non-musical things influence your sort of 
uh, general aesthetic and like uh, it could be reading, it could be uh, you know, whatever, it's just anything non-musical? Um, I mean, nothing specifically. Uh, I don't have any like deep hobbies or deep interest in any particular subjects. You know, I do generally tend to read like novels of all different types. Um, I, I probably, as far as like art, I, I favored the surrealists. Eve's Tangi is maybe Eve, Eve, sorry, Eve's, pardon my French. Um, it's you know, maybe my, my favorite. So it, it seems to stimulate something deep in my psyche that I, is maybe this, maybe a similar thing that I'd like to try to express through music. Mm -hmm. um, Um, Roberto Mata, who's, um, I actually used his work for my record, CD covers, so another, another one of my favorites. Um, I, I since, since you asked me that directly, I can't really, you know, I can't really think of anything specific. But uh, you know, I'll go back to like every everything is influence, and maybe some things because of what you're predisposed to. Some things stand more than others. Maybe you just have to get around to like finding those things and having them stimulate and inspire inspire you. Gotcha. Cool. Um, but basically, well, uh, you know, what I'm what I'm thinking about, I write or play. I'm just dealing with the materials in front of me. I'm nothing with expressing anything, just sending a message or, or anything. I'm just attending to the materials that I'm starting with. And I feel like if, there's, if there is a message there or if there's an emotional import there, it's going to come out if I just, um, if I just tend to the architecture of what I'm trying to do. Like it's, I don't, have to try to manipulate it or contrive it. That's, that's my theory anyway. So I never think about like, what emotion do I want to express? I don't really care about that. Mm -hmm. I think emo the emotion is going to be there anyway. Like everyone has, everyone is an emotional being. So you know, if you tap into your creativity, that's going to expressed anyway if you're attuned to yourself gotcha and also you know emotions inspired by music are unique to music they're not you know they're not like simplified like happy sad you know you could be moved to tears by a piece of music but you don't necessarily it's not necessarily because it's sad or poignant or, or anything that you can really Name, right? Mm -hmm. it's, that's the mystery of it. Enjoy the mystery. I don't know if that makes any sense. That makes sense. Um, we're getting up here on an hour, and I, I want to respect your time. So, uh, the last few questions I have are basically uh, Can you tell us about uh, what it was like working with Paul Motion and anything you took away from him? Um, well, I mean, for one thing, I was, a, you know, he was, before I met him, he was one of the most important band leaders in Columbus. As, as to me, as a listener, you know, his, his quintet, especially, you know, his quintet with Lovano uh, and Bill Cazello, Schiller and Jim Pepper and then, uh, anyway, my point is, I was super into Paul Motion. And then, uh, so it was, you know, kind of amazing to actually get to play with him and get to know him. Um, I mean, what, 
what I took away from, from that is how strong of a musical personality he is. Like he sort of projects his vision of music um, through his drum set, through his entire band. Like whatever band he has, it still sounds like a Paul Motion band, whatever he's playing. Mm -hmm. And even no matter like what it, material it doesn't even have to be his, his music somehow. Everybody just knows that this is like a Paul thing. And he's also always like so supportive, whether he's playing time, which like nobody played time better than or or he's just painting. It's very intuitive. He's and he was also as you know he's kind of you know, he's kind of a lighthearted guy. I mean, he was like deadly serious about music. Yeah. It was really like quality was really important to him. Like he just wanted to put forward the best thing possible at all times. You know, respected that a lot. He also had like tons of energy. He's always kind of like up. I mean, get cranky once in a while, but but he's generally positive guy and you know up like through his 70s he was just like tons of energy it was inspiring all of us. is there anything about his coffee habits you can share <laughs> his what his coffee habits um i don't remember that he even drank coffee he may have no but maybe no. that's his secret <laughs> or was yeah um no, not, I'm not aware of Paul Motion and coffee and the relationship there. Cool. Uh, uh, the other question I'll uh, end with, I guess, is uh, can you uh, tell a little bit about uh, anything you took away from recording Black Star with David Bowie in a similar vein to Paul Motion? Um, Well, I'll say that it was completely enjoyable experience. Like it was like, aside from just like the thrill of recording with David Bowie, which has been a fan since I was like 11 years old. Um, he, he, he and, and Tony Visconti just provided a really supportive, really great environment for us all to, to create. Um, and he, you know, the lane, the reins were, were very loose, whatever we wanted to, you know, if we had ideas, we wanted to experiment. But then um, I went in one day and just kind of recorded guitar parts on all the tunes. Like I was only there for a third of the session, like it was done over three weeks and I, I just came in for the last week. So a lot of stuff was done already. And there was one day where I, you know, it's just like, you, you just come in and just play, just come up with parts over all these different tunes. So it's just like, just like improvising over, you know, and, and some stuff was kept, a lot of stuff wasn't kept, but it was just you know, it was all in the spirit of experimentation. It's very supportive. Um, <clears throat> and I, I liked how even though he had a very specific vision for the record, um, he trusted us to not, uh, enough to not micromanage at all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was great. It was, it was a great week. I mean, it was literally one week of my life. It's mm -hmm. just that. So, but, but it was a good one. Awesome. Cool. Well, uh, I, I think that can conclude uh, this interview. If you'd like uh, okay. any other things that you want to say before we sign off? No, <laughs> but thank you, John. I appreciate your, again, I really appreciate your interest. Uh, thank you for making this awesome music. Um, I guess I'll talk to you in the future. Okay, take care.